hear these words from the book that we love. The man called his his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore God sent him out of the garden to work the ground from which he had been taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim in a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, so I grew up in uh, this, a suburb outside of Denver, to the south of Denver. I went to a suburban, a, a public high school uh, where we had a football team that was really good and the whole you know, suburban ex- uh, high school experience. Um, and uh, in the week before homecoming week, which is when your team would play the rival team uh, in football and there would be a dance and all the things, uh, there, there, we would have this, like, reflecting back, it's almost kind of like a hilarious, like, semi-pagan ritual. Uh, I don't know if this happens anymore, for those of you who are younger, certainly not in the, this city, uh, but we would have a giant bonfire. Um, like, we would pile up dozens of pallets and other things, like, really high into the air, and we light it on fire. And it was like, I'm saying it was like kind of semi-pagan, because we would take the mascot of the opposite team and, like, perch it on the top, and, and like, you know, be singing fight songs and stuff. It's, uh, and, and I bet something like that hasn't happened, like, in at least 10 years um, in these places. But I, I think it actually came to an end while I was in high school. It was, like, my senior year. We were just, like, we're not doing this anymore. And, uh, but I was, uh, I, was a, a st- I was in student government because I'm a nerd. And I, uh, and I, so I would help plan these, these bonfires. And we would, you know, set up, like, a perimeter around the bonfires with cones. Uh, so that way people wouldn't step too close to them. And, you know, high, you know, high school boys, it's just like you just want to get as close as you can, show off as much as you can. Um, but one thing that would happen that I noticed is after the fire would get bigger and bigger, the cones that we'd set up, the border we set up, didn't really matter. Like, the, the people would move farther and farther back from the borders um, that we'd already set. Because it's like if you take, start to take a few steps too close, you know, it feels like it's like 150 degrees because the fire, you know, that's up 20 feet in the air. It's just so, so, so hot. And that, that, like, that's even on a cool night in the fall where you would normally need a hoodie. The greatness and the heat of the fire can be seen in how, how people can't step near it. In, uh, in the Bible, uh, in a few books to the right of the, the one that we're reading in right now, in the book called Deuteronomy, uh, Moses says that our God is a consuming fire, that he's like these bonfires that we can't step too close to. The passage we just read ends with a cherubim, which is an angel, with a flaming sword guarding the way back to the garden. Thinking about God being a bonfire, thinking about this flaming sword, question. Is God safe? Is God safe? And if we, as the people of God, who are called to be the very presence of Christ in our neighborhood, like if, if we are gathered before this God, like is, is church a safe place? Is church safe? And, so, and some of you, like the, the word safe, it means lots of things, different things to different people. Um, but I'm going I'm to wrestle some with this question today. Um, has church been safe from your experience? What does safe mean? 
I'll dig into this question through the lens of the text we just read. Um, And I'm going to argue that because of Christ, church should be the safest place in the world. But also, for reasons that I, I hope to explain, church should be one of the least safe places in the world because we're coming before a God like this bonfire. Still, it's the same God. And that this place where it's as safe as possible and in some ways as dangerous as possible is exactly what we need. It's exactly what we need. So, this passage. Um, remember where we've been in the past? The man and the woman, they, they eat of the fruit that God specifically commanded them not to, to eat. Um, so they are God... Um, uh, he gives them these, these curses or these consequences. This is what, what I talked about last week. And then in this passage, they're, they're exiled out. So the, the man and the woman, they chose the, the one commandment. God said, don't eat from this tree. Them eating of it is, is their way of saying, we're going to do things our way. We don't want to obey your laws or have anything to do with you. So God exiles them. He sends them out. In verse 20, this starts, uh, the man names Eve, um, which comes from the same word for living um, in the Hebrew. Um, and which is it's something of a note of uh, optimism, um, I think, in this text, where the, the fir- one of the first commandments uh, that uh, the people are, are given is to be fruitful and multiply. And it's, a, it's a, this note of optimism that the woman will still bear, bear children and God's commands will still be followed. Um, forgive me, all my, I've dropped my notes on my way up here and they all went out of order. Um, and then directly after that, uh, we get... Um, These garments of skins. Um, What's up with the garments of skins? I'm going to talk about these at more length later. Um, uh, But uh, remember that uh, the the man, earlier in in the passages we read, the man and the woman, they made garments of fig leaves. So immediately after they eat of the the fruit that they're supposed not to eat, they they try to cover themselves with fig leaves. And I don't know, um, you could try this, like you could, you know, you could, it's like if you ever try to like cover yourself with fig leaves, it doesn't work very well doesn't work very well. Um, and God, in his grace, and his mercy, he covers their shame with these garments of skins from these animals. And I'll talk more about that, this at length later. And then they're cast out of Eden. Uh, they're forbidden access from, to the tree of life, which, remember, the tree of life is the place where God's goodness, God's life, immortality comes to the world. It's them being cast out from God's very presence. And the, one of the curses um, upon the man is that the ground is cursed, so man has to work the ground. It produces thorns and thistles. And this starts to happen right away. So they're sent out to the east of Eden to the, the ground that's going to be hard to work. The, the, gar- the garden was going to be ground that was easy to work. So the words of the consequence were fulfilled almost immediately. And as they're driven out, the, the entrance back to Eden, the entrance back to the garden, is guarded by this cherubim with a flaming sword. Now, cherubim are they're angels that appear like great winged beasts. They're strong and powerful. Um, in the ancient Near East, like the, the gods would be described as riding upon cherubim. Uh, and, but speci- and specifically, um, anything that... Uh, in cherubim in, in Scripture, specifically, they stand at the footstool of God's throne. So later on in the Bible, we'll see... We, we, um, You'll see things like the Ark of the Covenant, which if you've ever seen the Indiana Jones movie, you know, they're searching for the, the Ark of the Covenant. Um, and even in the Indiana Jones, it's like, what's on top of the lid of the Ark of the Covenant? It's two angels. They're meant to be like, like cherubim that are guarding the, 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 the Ark, which is the footstool of the throne of God, the place where his presence uniquely meets the earth. So just imagine a throne and like the, a king who's up high and exalted. He often has a 
a throne, like a, a little stool underneath his feet, so that his you know his feet aren't dangling like a toddler, um, but are perched. And at that spot is where in the Bible the cherubim guard God's presence. And so it is here too. There's there's like temple language here. There's or in the tabernacle in the temple later on in the Bible the the walls or the curtains all around are there's paintings of cherubim. Eden, what we see here, it's the precursor for the temple, for the tabernacle. Um, And in the next chapter, we're going to read the story of Cain and Abel. And it starts with them giving offerings to God. And where would they presumably be giving these offerings, knowing what we know about cherubim? They would have been coming to this gateway, this entrance to Eden, and they would have been giving their offerings there. There's there's like temple language here. Um, So Adam and Eve, they're cast out of God's presence in some ways, um, but they're not cast utterly out of his presence. Uh, there's, they, and we'll see that in, with Cain in, chapter, in the next chapter, that he, the, the text tells us that he, he left out of the presence of the Lord more, like more fully. He went farther east, farther away. Um, but Adam and Eve, um, they had this mediated access to God. They can't, they, they, the days of walking in the garden are no more, of walking in the garden with God. So instead they have to pass in front of, they have to come before this cherubim and this flaming sword in their worship and in their offerings. And here, and this is why I'm camping out on such as just a few verses in this text, is because this here is, this is the foundational, it's the central problem, really, of the whole Bible. We see it especially in the Old Testament. And the question is, this is the question, is how can a sinful people come into the presence of a holy God? Remember the bonfire. How can a people who are sinful, they can't withstand the heat, come to the presence of this God who's like a consuming flame. Um, how can they? If one, of your, if one of your friends were to ask you, like, what's the Bible about? You think, they think, may think it's silly or irrelevant or oppressive. Like, how would you answer that question? What's the Bible about? And I think this, this, this question gets at something, is what the Bible's about. Um, God's, what happens? God's people, they can't will their way into God's presence. You can't, they can't just muscle their way in there. Can't just muscle their way close to the bonfire. Um, what actually happens is that God has to come to them to make a way back to Him. This is what the covenants are about. This is what the tabernacle and the temple are about. Um, this is what the cry of the prophets is about. Um, and this is why, in the last page of the Bible, we see it with a city described where um, the God is so present with his people in the New Jerusalem, in this city, that the text tells us that the sun isn't even needed. There's no, there's no, we don't need the sun or the moon because God is light, and his light, his presence is so pervasive that he's with his people. We don't even need the sun. That's how the Bible ends, is resolving the problem that's right here. But we're reading ahead. How do we get there? And here I want to get, get into, into my two points about how God, God is safe and church is safe. And the second point will be that God is not safe. Church is not safe. So first point is that God is safe. Um, perhaps like a, a specific way to put this um, is that God makes a way for his people to be in a loving, trusting, honest relationship with him. Uh, and the, the great example of this in this text is the garment of skins in verse 21. 
the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Um, God is safe. This is, this, is like so, this is so different from a lot of ways that we may talk about being, feeling safe in our, in, our cult, in, in our culture. Like God is safe. We can draw near to him. He makes a way to him for his people because blood is shed. Think about this. These animals, so presumably, this is kind of in the background. We don't see it in the text, but you, we can piece it together, is these animals had to be slain. Blood had to be spilled in order for the man and woman to be covered. In order for the man and woman to be in the presence of a holy God, blood had to be shed. And the theological word for this is atonement, uh, which is a fancy word, and basically it just means covering. Covering like the man and woman are covered here by these garments of skins. Like some translation even put these as like tunics, like they're almost royal garb. Like the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, they're still called to be a king and a queen in the world, but now they must be covered by God through the spilling of blood. And if that sounds like, we, you know, we're, it's, it's a funny effect, actually, of Christianity on the world that we hear about blood and sacrifice, and we're like, that just sounds so ancient and archaic. That has nothing to do with us. And the funny thing is that's actually proof of the influence of Christianity on the world, um, because all the, you know, all the other ancient religions, it's, it, there was a presence of blood and sacrifice. And um, because of, you know, we would say, and I'll get into this more in a minute, because of Jesus' blood being spilled, now our, our worship is, is not explicitly bloody. Um, but if, if you just are like, that just sounds so outlandish, that sounds so unfair and crazy, well, consider this. Consider, I would invite you to consider again what Adam and Eve had just done. And I'll try and get it to you through a, a parable. Okay? Imagine that you have a friend um, who has a lake house like an awesome lake house. And, uh, you know, lake house with jet skis that you love to ride around with, with the, you, know, you ride around the lake with your friend. And he, he, it's a big house with rooms, and you're allowed to come stay, stay there. And uh, your other friends are allowed to come too. And he's got awesome, like, granite countertops, fully stocked bar. He's an amazing cook, and he gets all these fine meats and grills them for you. He smokes them all day. He's, he works so hard at it. And, um, and he's got, like, beautiful Renaissance paintings on the walls in his house that you just get entranced and mesmerized by. It's such a beautiful house. And you, he's got like a, you know, a movie theater, a little mini movie theater in his basement um, where you can watch some of your favorite films together um, after a, you know, a day out water skiing on the lake. And um, it's just like your favorite place to go, favorite place to be. Imagine this. Imagine you go to that friend and you look him in the eyes, and you're like, I want, I want everything in this house, except for one thing. I want nothing to do with you. I want nothing to do with you. I want your stuff. But I want nothing to hear about how you would ask me to use your things. I, want no, I, don't, want to, I, I don't want to have any relationship with you. I want you out of here. This is similar to what Adam and Eve just did in the garden in rejecting God's, God's command. But God makes a way for them and for us to come back to him, even after we do things like that, even though that's the, the posture of our heart towards God. God makes a way back through, again, the spilling of blood, through Jesus, 
And this is the source of our safety before him and why God is safe and why church is safe. Is Jesus sheds his blood, so no more blood needs to be shed to come near to God. We are covered. Again, think of the covering of the skins. Atonement means covering. We are covered. Um, those of us who have faith in Jesus, you turn to him, you are covered by his blood. You're now... The the robes that cover you are now Jesus' royal robes. The New Testament calls us co-heirs with him. It's royal language. Our sins are forgiven. We can come into God's presence without fear. He died by the sword of the cherubim. He died by by the, the cross so that we no longer need to fear the sword of the cherubim. And that's why we do everything we do here. This is what Christians, if if you're new to this, this is what we call the gospel is that even though you and I have done things just as bad, just as, as, just as bad as our first parents, we're like the friend who says to God, I want nothing to do with you. Even though that's what we've done, God loves us so much that he sends his son um, whose blood is spilled so that we can be covered and we can come again into his presence. So, God's, that, that, so God is safe. And in fact, like the scriptures, and I hit this just briefly in my little pre-sermon announcement, like God is, is nearest to those who are humble, who are contrite, who are lowly, who are weak, which makes a lot of sense if you think about it. If we, you know that you need to be covered, if you know that you need forgiveness, that you need mercy, that you need blessing from God, then you're near to him because you know that you need to be covered. And if this is our, our, our position, this is, if this is who we are, shouldn't that make church like a place where we can talk about the hard things in our lives, talk about not just the hard things in our lives, not just the hard things that have happened to us, but the ways that we've made the world a worse place. If we know that each of us have done things, thought things, said things that require the covering of Christ's blood, we're all in the same camp. Shouldn't that make church a place where we can talk about the hardest of things? Church should be the place where the worst people end up, if this is true. That's us. We're the worst people who've been covered by the blood of Christ. Every single one of us here is not a hero, but a sinner saved by grace. And I think that should make us open and patient and gentle when we encounter the harshness in one another. We should be safe people to talk to about whatever's happening in people's lives in people's hearts. And I think we all need a place like this. And I don't, I, I'm not going to go into much depth there. I think we know this. Like, we need a place where, where, we're, where we're, we can talk about that which is the hardest. God's safe through the blood of Jesus. In recognition that we're all sinners and that we're not safe, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah. Second point is that God is not safe. And therefore, in a lot of ways, the church shouldn't be safe either. The God that we read in this passage, the one whose way is blocked by a cherubim with a flaming sword, uh, this is the same God that we worship this morning, that we worship with our songs. Um, this is, uh, recall again the bonfire. This is the same God that we draw near to today. He's holy. He's holy. God, like there's a, the, um, a pastor that's read a lot at, at weddings or um, quoted a lot in, in, our, in, in our culture is that God is love, which is this, 
this beautiful line that helps us understand so much about God's heart towards a broken world. God is love. It's from the book of 1 John. Another God is line from 1 John is that God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. And Jesus' blood covering us hasn't erased this God, hasn't erased him, but has actually given us access to this God so that we can worship him in spirit and in truth, so that we can pray to him, and so that we can be transformed by him into people who, are, who, who can dwell with him and people who are holy and righteous as he is. Drop in the notes. Jesus died because you aren't holy. Yes, God's holy, we're not. But Jesus also died so that you could be holy. Do you hear the difference there? How both are absolutely necessary. And become, for us, becoming holy and becoming righteous, it is not a safe or easy process. Um, there's, there's a woman who attends this church who used this analogy once of be, what becoming holy and righteous is like that's just stuck with me, which is like, it's like excavating and digging down in the deepest levels of the sea. It's just the most like unnatural, hard, labor-intensive thing you can imagine. And, so, and that's what God does to us. Here's, here's another image of what becoming holy and righteous before this all-consuming fire of a God is like. Um, this is from um, C.S. Lewis, his, his book, Mere Christianity. He writes, he writes this. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing in rebuilding the house. He's getting the drains right. Uh, he's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he, God, starts knocking the house about in ways that hurts terribly and don't seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house than you want the one you thought of. He's throwing a new wing here. He's putting on an extra floor there. He's running up towers. He's making courtyards. Imagine the pain of having your walls torn down, your floors ripped up. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he's building a palace. And he intends to come and live in it himself. the process of becoming holy and righteous, like the process for this house being transformed into what God would have it be. It's unnatural. It's not safe. It takes time. Uh, one, one of my, my a, a guy who mentored me put it this way. He would always say all the time that God is wild. You know, God is good, but also God is wild. And the ways that he changes our lives is usually in the way that we wouldn't have picked ourselves Think about it this way. Um, think about it this way for as you're sitting in the seats right now. For while you're here coming before this God to worship him or learn about him, whatever it may be. God sets the agenda for why you are here. Maybe, and the, the image of the house is really helpful there. You know, we want to be a decent little cottage. God wants to make us into a palace. Maybe you're here today, you come to church, or you've been coming to church for many years. 
because you want to you want to have a good community of friends. Amen. I hope you find that here. That's a big part of what I do here as a pastor of the church, is I want to build up community so that we know and love one another. But maybe God's agenda is for you to have conflicts with people at church so that you can learn how prideful you are and know how much you need the people who feel like your enemies. Maybe you're here at church because you want to learn the, the truth, all caps, the truth, the ancient truth. You want to be taught, taught the ancient ways. Amen. Amen. I hope that, I hope that we, we were about that here. But maybe God's agenda for you is for you to learn to be patient with those you consider to be in error. Maybe you're here at church because you want to serve the neighborhood. You want to bless neighbors. You, um, you want to build up the wider community around us. Amen. Amen. I pray that, that happens. I pray that's how our church is. Maybe God's agenda for you, though, is for you to confess that you're prayerless and that you live a life like God doesn't actually exist. Maybe that's in the agenda, too. Maybe you're here because you want to receive spiritual or material blessing, being part of the church. You want God to, to bless you. You, got, you want God to provide you with whatever it is you need for your life to be not as awful as it is, uh, as it can be on some days. Amen. Amen. I hope that being part of this church leads to you being um, God providing provision for you. It's like, you know, Betsy gave this announcement about our deacons care team funds. Like, this is what we are really care about this as a church. Amen. But maybe God's agenda for you is for you to learn to trust him and even praise him and even thank him through long-term suffering that no matter how hard all of us try, it just won't go away. Maybe that's God's agenda. Maybe you're here because you want to size up God. You want to investigate him. You want to test the, tr- the, the claims of the faith, determine whether they're good or true. And that could apply to you whether you're, you've never come into a church before or you've been here for 15 years. And that's just, your, you know, you're a rational person. You want to investigate things. Amen. I hope, we, I hope we do that here. I really do. I hope we have those conversations. I would love to have those conversations or arguments with you. That would be great. Please. I love that. But maybe God's agenda is for, instead of you sizing him up, it's him sizing you up. And it's you, <laughs> it's you realizing that you need to bring your deepest fears and your deepest sins before him. Maybe you're here because you want to know your kids. You want your kids, raise your kids in a place where people know about the faith, people love Jesus. You want them to have spiritual aunts and uncles. Hearty amen. That's the other thing I do here, kids ministry. I build it up. I want kids to grow up loving Jesus and having spiritual aunts and uncles. That's so important. Amen. I hope that's why people are here. But maybe God's agenda is for you to realize that you don't love God. You don't love him. Like, not at all. You treat him like he's a distant landlord to whom you pay occasional bills. What do you not want God's agenda to be for you? When you come here on a Sunday morning, when you come to a a home meeting, do you see how this church, how such a place, coming before such a God, isn't going to always feel safe? at least in some ways. 
God is safe. When we come here, we should bear ourselves, warts and all, but we should never expect to leave unchanged. This is the gospel of Jesus. All are welcome. Jesus forgives all. Imagine, the, just think of the worst thing that you've possibly done this week or this month or in your life. It is, through faith in Jesus, it is completely covered by his blood. You are beloved. You are a, a, you're, you're, his, the, the, you're a child of God. You are given access to the throne. You can pass by the cherubim. But don't expect to leave here unchanged. This is the full gospel of Jesus. And this is what, isn't this what we need? Isn't this what we need? A place where we're welcome, a place where we can bear our vulnerabilities, our weaknesses, our sins, where no depth of evil in ourselves or in others is going to be surprising, but also a place where there's a constant loving call to be transformed into something so magnificent that if the angels saw what we were to become, they may want to worship us. There's a direction towards this. It's not just comfort, it's not just safety, but it's us being transformed into the image of this God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.